You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand down and be J-U-I-C-Y Welcome to the Get Fucking Real show. This one, we are entering the red light district. <laughs> As if naming your show Get Fucking Real isn't red light enough. Once in a while, we have episodes that take us into the land of the sexy because our sexuality, our sexual orientation, our bodies are what is the vessel for our message as a mission-driven entrepreneur. So I am excited to present a pretty cutting-edge interview with my guest, Christina Marassi. And I'll tell you, here's a question. Would you ever consider running your business with pleasure as your guide? And of course, when I hear that, I'm like, no, it can't be all, you know, like even me who wants to GFR all over the place, has resistance to leaning into actually 100% of the time using pleasure as my guide. Well, that is the adventure that Christina has been on. Five years ago, she pulled the plug on her successful business. She was making um, in the high six, six figures. She was helping women in 27 countries find their ecstatic brand, three-day live events, the whole thing. She pulled the plug because she realized she was running her business from her masculine. And she was pushing and her, she was exhausted and she tried to slow things down slowly or shift things slowly and realized it wasn't working and she pulled the plug. In her makeover, she is now on a mission to help other women leaders activate their raw feminine power and learn how to use it in the natural design of their feminine operating system. And men too. Men can operate from the feminine operating system as well, and it is an amazing thing to explore. She is now living as a digital nomad in places like Bali and Hawaii. I think she was in Italy when we talked for the interview. Um, Just such a great, fun conversation. And the Red Light District part of this interview has to do with using BDSM, which is Another way that that people talk about this in the realms of sexuality is kink as a way to heal from devastating grief of the loss of her brother when she was only 13 years old and he was 11. So we're going to go on a little roller coaster ride here with Christina. I 
confess some juicy things on this episode, which she like punctuates beautifully. <laughs> and I, my intention is that you have an open mind and pay attention to where this might speak to you in any of the entry points, right? You don't have to bite off the whole thing and swallow it and say, yum. <laughs> but for you to like, just have a little taste and see where it, this conversation might touch you and the different places that you don't explore very often or that you don't hear conversations about, I'm excited to hear from you how it lands for you. And yeah, without further ado, let's enter the red light district of the Get Fucking Real show with Christina Marassi. Christina Marassi, welcome to the Get Fucking Real show. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited for this conversation. Deep and it's going to be juicy. It's going to be deep and it's going to be juicy. So I don't ask everybody this, but since you're like this kind of nomad-y type person, where are you now? I am in Rome, Italy. And where were you before Rome? Two weeks in Sweden on a heritage tour with my mom. And before that, nine months in Bali. Nine months in Bali, y'all. Jeez. That's a GFR right there, (laughs) y'all. You weren't supposed to be there nine months, right? It was a shorter trip. Yes, I meant to go for a one-month sabbatical, but Bali really just sucks you in. It's a very magical place, and many people are in transition there. So it turned out to be nine months, which seemed apropos and perfect. So I was very grateful to be there. A fun fact about Christina is that she, what do you call it, a digital nomad. I just freaking love that, and I'm jealous on multiple levels. And thank you for being here. And we're going to start your story from early on in childhood. And we'll take it all the way through to present day and to this version of yourself that's a digital nomad. Are you game? I'm totally game. Thank you for this opportunity. And I love this movement that you're creating around getting fucking real. Like we all need more of that. So thank you for leading the way for all of us. You are so very welcome. All right, y'all. We're going to start with some devastating grief that happened in your life that shaped very much of who you are now and your journey. So tell us what happened. (sighs) Thank you. I've never really shared about this in an interview before, but in your invitation to participate in this, it was so clear that this is an important piece of the puzzle. So my story goes that my brother died of cancer when I was 13 and he was 11. And we were very close. And this was a devastating blow to me because he was this very athletic, super well-loved kid and just, you know, started to come home with like a backache and a knee ache at some point. And then one day came home with a lump on the side of his head that the pediatrician said was, you know, a dodgeball injury. And it turned out to be cancer. Over the course of seven months, he went into remission, but then he relapsed and then was in a bone marrow room. And he ended up dying because of the cancer drugs to get him ready for the bone marrow room, his kidneys gave out. So this was a long time ago. This was back in 1984. But even back then, we as a family were doing creative visualization and imagining Pac-Man eating up all the cancer cells. And we had a prayer network. And so it never occurred to me during that whole time when he was sick that he would ever die. It just never crossed my mind. I felt like we were doing everything right. You know, I was praying to God every night. My mother was cooking macrobiotic, like all the things. 
and down to like the day before he died, my mother had to sit me down and take me into one of those like hospital rooms that they have for the family and say, like, I think my parents must have known I was in denial and literally he was dying. And my mother had to sit me down and say, Christina, he's not going to make it. And it was this moment of like, what? does not compute. And so it was devastating. It was this betrayal in my system, I think, especially with the divine too, of like, but we, we prayed, we did all the things. How did this happen? And my 13-year-old brain couldn't reconcile it. And so then the aftermath was really intense, you know, going through the teenage years and having no death, you know, when most teenagers are being stupid and thinking that nothing, you know, they're invincible. And, you know, it was just, it was challenging. And also no one understood grieving back in 1984, you know, so I didn't get any help with my grief. And my coping mechanism was that I looked like I was fine. And so everyone kind of believed that I was. And so I suppressed and submerged the grief because I didn't know what else to do with it. So that's the story that kind of brought me into this experience of, you know, understanding death carrying my grief with me, not really getting to the other side, squashing down emotions, disconnecting from my body and living up in my head and doing the best that I could to exist and go on. Yeah. I was connecting with my mom being diagnosed with cancer when I was picking out my junior prom dress. How do you reconcile that? Like you said, it was at that age, you know, most kids are not thinking about life and death, right? And I remember how it pierced a veil for me around my parents, the preciousness of life, like never even thinking like they wouldn't just always be there. You know, my mom survived, thank God, and is part of my life now. And she'll say that that experience was one of the best things that happened to her. And for me, I know for sure that it inserted this life is short thing. Like it was like a chip that was inserted then that shaped a lot of my choices. So that was basically your high school years was pretending to be fine. Yes. And, and, you know, it's like, you, you don't know any other way, but it's funny. The reason we wanted to start here is seeing how much this still impacts me today as I'm running my mission-based business and how I bump up against this, even though I have done so much work on this, I bump up against this every time I go to expand and step into the next level of my mission. And so we wanted to kind of like share, I'm sure so many people listening also had something of that happened in their own childhood that was tragic of some kind that maybe did get buried and could be playing a part today in impacting what you're here to do on the planet. So I'm grateful. I normally only talk about this maybe within my courses. So I'm grateful to share this story a little bit more publicly. Yeah. Thank you for that. So you become a fashion photographer and very obviously creative and you were in New York. I mean, I'm from New Jersey, just below New York and the fumes of New York are so tantalizing and exciting. So tell us about this part of your story. So I had always loved photography and, you know, was yearbook photography editor and studied it in college. And so I ended up moving to New York and getting into fashion photography. So I was an assistant to really high level fashion photographers. And I'm on these sets with every supermodel you've heard of. I've probably been on a photo set with them and celebrities as well. And, and it was an amazing time. It was very, very fun time in my life. And 
cut to, you know, a few years into that, in my late 20s, my grandmother passed away. And what happened is for various reasons, somehow really pierced my veil into grief. It gave me permission to now go back and feel what I hadn't felt with my brother. And it kickstarted this latent grieving process that really threw me into a dark night of the soul, big time. And so what happened was you don't really want to be in New York City in the dark night of the soul, nor do you want to be in fashion photography. I probably was relatively depressed, you know, low-level depression for a couple of years. So I finally got into therapy, started to get some help and, you know, kind of going back through the layers of all this old grief and various other wounds, of course, too. And I ended up through a course of events, deciding on a whim to move to Los Angeles. And what happened was I had been receiving some sessions in something called cranial sacral therapy, you know, back in the late 90s and was blown away by this work and was like, I wonder if I can learn it. I had no idea, right? Never touched a body, knew nothing really about healing. I wasn't the kid that grew up feeling energy or anything like that. But when I moved to Los Angeles, I took a class in cranial sacral therapy, fell in love with it, and was like, that's it. I'm going to let go of photography, and I'm diving headfirst into the healing arts. It feels very creative to me. So I studied so many, so many, so many different things, became a full-on hippie healer, you know, living in Los Angeles, even as a house sitter for a number of years, and just gave myself over to healing. And, you know, I wanted to learn how to heal others, but probably at the end of the day, it was about me trying to heal me. You know, and over the course of these 10 years, I started to understand how energy worked and like what power was all about. And I started to learn how to get into my body and started ecstatic dancing, you know, seven, 18 years ago and started doing improv and all these like expressive arts that started hooking up the connection from my head back into my body and starting to learn how to allow my emotions to flow. And it basically began like what has now been a 20 year hardcore healing journey, going to the depths and the depths and the depths of the universe to like heal this thing. And I'm still not done. Like, I'm sure so many people can relate to this. We have this major deep healing that we experience. And then we're like, Eureka, I've done it. I'm healed. And it's never the case, right? We all learn that healing is on the spiral. We do one pass of it and that's great. But then it's going to come back around on the spiral again. So it's been this really deep journey because I think I suppressed it so well that it's been difficult to access a lot of this grief and to clear it all. And you know, what I've also seen too is through the whole process, there's an interesting layer of survivor's guilt that I have that isn't conscious. My conscious brain doesn't believe any of this, but it's locked into my unconscious of a little bit of like, why am I alive and he's not, you know? And why do I get to have these experiences and do I need to live my life for him to make up for it? And, and even some part of me that feels like, why couldn't I save him? I mean, I was third for God's sakes, but you don't know how else to reconcile it. And then even the piece around betrayal of the divine too, of like, you know, your 13 year old brain thinks, well, if you do everything right, then you're going to get what you want, or it'll work out the way that you want. And of course, as adults, we've all learned that's not the case. And that there's a bigger story going on that even though you do all the things right, maybe it's in alignment for your soul or whatever kind of bigger thing you believe in, that there's a reason why you don't get what you want. But I didn't know how to reconcile all that in my 13-year-old brain. So it's been a very intense 20-year process and I'm still in it, still in it. But it's so interesting because I know this is a cornerstone of like your GFR commandments of like, I wanna say, I'm grateful that it happened. 
because it made me who I am, but I still can't even quite get that out of my mouth. Even though that's been my intention all of this time of like, I want to want to be here. I want to want to like be grateful for that experience. And for the most part, I'm close to that. But you can see that it's still a little tricky for me to say. So it's been a long journey. Yeah, I really get that. And I think that a lot of our listeners also want to want to be there. I feel like we can come in and out of alignment with that knowing. For myself, there are days where I just fucking know it's like without all that, I would not be doing GFR. I would not be able to say the shit I could say. I just fucking know it. And there's some days I'm like, who the fuck do you think you are? Just this sort of like wave and in and out of connection to really the truth. And that's the essence of our journey, right? That is the essence of our journey. So you have a huge journey into the healing arts, if you will. And I believe a lot of healers can relate to this story, right? You access one thing that really helps you. And then it's very addicting, right? Like, what more? And there's all these modalities and certifications and things like that. And I really hear the connection of mind and body and getting into your body and pleasure and just like a whole sort of rewiring happening for you. Yes. Well said. This is awesome. I love this. And so does that mean you're a hippie healer still? What happened? <laughs> Where, what's next, Christina? Oh, the story is just beginning. So I am full on hippie healer for a good 10 years. And I start to experiment offering my own workshops and really going a bit rogue of like dismantling and taking apart the healing modalities I've been trained and figuring out instead of doing them like one-on-one with a massage table, how could I turn this into a group? And how could I make this more fun? And how can I bring in the expressive arts, right? So I started kind of going rogue a little bit and leading these workshops, but it was still hippie healer, you know, 10 people in a room, 30 bucks a night, you know, that whole show. And there was a moment when I realized that I needed to take it bigger, that I was meant to reach more people. And so I had a moment with the universe to be like, all right, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm making $600 a month living as a house sitter. And I saw myself as this like philanthropist, like, you know, Bill Gates level going, how the hell is that going to happen? So cut to get a random email out of the blue, inviting me to a lecture series on how to build your own at home online empire. And this (laughs) is my foray into the coaching world. So I start to learn about online marketing and coaching. And so I end up diving headfirst into the coaching world and realizing, oh, there's something here. I had no business skills of any kind, none, but I could feel that there was something interesting here. And so I dove in and started to learn about coaching and ended up feeling guided. Now I'm on touch with my body, right? To invest really high level with coaches. I'm not even entirely sure how I've made it happen, but I invested six figures a year for four years with various coaches. And I will say that it really did help me. I knew I was going to have a lot of shit that I was going to come up against. So that was part of the reason. Like I knew I needed a big ass container because I had a big mission and also I was going to have big shit that came up. And so with their help, I ended up putting together a business that first wove together my healer side with my fashion photographer side and created a business as a transformational photographer. And so that was exciting. That did well. And then everyone wanted to know how I did it. And so I transitioned into becoming a fancy business coach, helping people find their personal brand that I called your ecstatic brand. I'm saying in air quotes. So it was a wild ride. So I ended up 
you know, by my third year in business, creating like the successful machine of a coaching business with the big successful online launches, leading into the live events, you know, with hundreds of people in the room, leading into a high-end mastermind and like the whole thing. And so in my third year of business, I grossed $700,000, which is still something that surprises me to this day. And like, how did the hippie healer house sitter make that happen? But I was passionate and I had a mission and there were pieces of this puzzle that I loved. Like the thing that excited me the most was you know, being out there, creating this level of impact and being able to set in motion where myself and my community raised $25,000 to sponsor a village in Africa for five years. You know, where a school was built and there were school lunches and there were school supplies and medical supplies and clean water. And that was just something that's so important to me. Like, and you can see that I became a philanthropist, sort of. Like I got there to at least a certain degree. And so that lit me up like nobody's business. And there was a moment where I was like, I don't think this is right. This isn't enough. This is going on, but I, it's not something needs to change. And I'd always promised myself, you know, as a hippie healer, creative person crossing over into business, I was like, I'm going to learn the rules and then I'm going to smash them to smithereens. And so after a few years of this success, I just had this deep knowing of like, okay, it's time. You've learned the rules. What are you going to do? And also I'd gone through a divorce, you know, kind of just as I was rising in my success and I'd thrown all of my energy into the business. It's not a bad place to put it, of course, but I really was working nonstop. I was getting to the verge of burnout, not quite, but exhausted, had no personal life to speak of. And so there was just this moment, like this was a GFR moment for me totally to be like, okay, I've created a successful machine of a coaching business, but something isn't like there's a next level to this. It's starting to feel out of alignment. What do I do? You know, if you've been in the coaching industry for a while, you've heard that many people have reached this GFR moment of realizing something's not feeling nourishing in the business and they either pull the plug or they shift gears or they walk away from it. There's a lot of it going on. It's an epidemic of sorts. And so I want to give Lisa and I a badge of honor that I think, you know, we were some of the first to do this. Mine was back in 2014. And I think Lisa's was around that time as well. So there's something, you know, in the air where I think we're all wanting to be more in alignment with our soul's divine purpose or whatever words you might use feels important. I appreciate that. I want to add that I feel like this is what I am now meant to help people prevent, right? Which I don't think I have articulated this in this way yet is that I think that the GFR wormhole some of them are preventable. It's weird because I have this juxtaposition of like, people need to go through shit in order to birth new shit. Like for sure. I mean, you listen to these stories on the show, totally binge worthy, by the way, if you need to catch up one after the other, after the other, you'll be like, oh my God, they never could have done that without having gone through that. Right. And, you know, I was just coaching somebody yesterday and she's an attorney and she's doing some cool things. And she's like, but I'm kind of bored. And we're like, okay, like, Warning, warning, real Bobson, bored, right? Like that's not overwhelmed. That's not burnout. For her, that was her sign. And for me, it was like, all right, let's pause. Let's feel, let's figure this out. 
The next step is so important. Let's not build and do the thing. Like that to me is the essence of the GFR space that I'm holding for people now and their business. It's like what you said. It is learning the rules and then smashing them to smithereens. Like what is going to be your way that you digest the rules and the strategies and the steps and the blueprints and the templates and all of the things and find your way which is adolescence and a phase that we go through with individuation. It's right. Like, and this is what I believe we need to do as mission driven entrepreneurs is honoring our own process and finding our own way. And so that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. That's beautiful. When you hear the story, you'll hear a little bit more of like what I've been through, but I've been saying, if I can shorten this learning curve for anyone, I will do it because I wouldn't wish this on anybody. (laughs) So I think those of us that went through it early on, like, you know, use us, stay close to us, learn from us. We want to help so that it doesn't have to be quite as painful for you. So my story was, I reached this moment. And so now I've got this successful machine of a coaching business though, right? So I know I need to shift, but how do I do it? And so as Lisa mentioned, I had this intention of like, well, I'll start to turn the ship slowly. And so I tried different programs and I worked with a different coach. And so I was dabbling and trying different things and, you know, had my finger on the pulse of it needs to change, but it wasn't really working. I was already exhausted. And I was kind of at the time when the coaching industry started to change too. And what had been working for everyone wasn't, but I didn't really know that. I thought it was just me. Right. So I did a launch and the launch wasn't going so well. And right at that time, I was about to sign the contract for my next live event. And my live events had been very expensive. And so it was sort of this moment of like, okay, wait a minute. I'm about to sign the contract for the live event. It's expensive. The launch is supposed to fill the live event. The launch isn't going well. Like I'm trying to do this slowly, but this isn't working. And so it literally was a Memorial Day weekend, 2014. I'd moved from Los Angeles to Oakland. And I was like, holy fuck, I got to do something different. This isn't working. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to pull the plug. And it was just this moment of like, I'm going to dive into the unknown. It'll probably take me a couple of months or something, you know, and like dive into the unknown. And so I canceled the launch that was in motion. I didn't sign the contract for the live event. I let my high end mastermind run out and I just dove into the unknown and was like, I need to find the next level of my body of work. And I need a personal life too. And so this is an important piece of the puzzle because I moved to Los Angeles and then in that process of being in the unknown and focusing on my personal life, a whole new chapter opened. And this is where we go into a whole other part of the story. Yeah, this is juicy. And now you're in Oakland, which is outside of San Francisco, which if anybody knows anything about geography and mindset, and it's very progressive part of the country, even for California, it's very progressive. Lots of access to lots of different things. And by the way, there's a pattern here, Christina, of you pulling the plug, of you being willing to jump into the unknown like multiple times, right? Like you left fashion photography, you came to LA to be a healer, right? And then you were willing to let that go and like go into the coaching. And now you let the, you know, you let this business go. I so admire that. I've done it. I could say like maybe once, right? Which still is admirable, but that just takes so much fucking courage. So I want to acknowledge you. And then I want you to tell us what happened next. (laughs) I'm glad that you're prefacing 
what the Bay Area and Oakland and San Francisco are like. So I always joke, I'm like, sexuality oozes out of the soil there. You know, like everyone is exploring outside their comfort zones in their sexuality there. And it's just part of the experience. You know, it was like everybody I knew was going to sex parties and in exploring BDSM and exploring like way outside the realm. But the thing that was interesting is it was normal right? Like it's all relative on some level. So if you ever want to explore your sensuality, I highly recommend spending time in the Bay Area. I also give a little plug to episode 11 for about me and how opening up my marriage juiced up my business in case y'all are accessing, you know, I didn't get to that episode that so you'll learn my own journey around that. And so there is a little bit of context on the GFR show for sexual, gender, non-monogamy, all kinds of juicy things in that area. So warning, warning, (laughs) we're about to go to fun places. Now we're entering into the red light district. Red light district. Oh, I like that. Uh, Okay. So as part of wanting to open up my personal life, I started to explore more of my sexuality. Now it was something that had always been woven into my business, but it wasn't at the forefront, right? So the first place I started was I dove into the world of a practice called orgasmic meditation. Now, when you first hear what it is, it will sound crazy. It sounded crazy to me too. And I, you know, now see the beauty and effectiveness of it on some level. So orgasmic meditation is a partnered practice that's really about, it's a meditative practice on some level, but it involves the stroking of a woman's clitoris in a very methodical fashion with no other goal but to feel. So it's not about trying to get to climax or anything like that. It's a methodical like up-down stroke on the clitoris that invites two people to really feel everything there is to feel. So of course that does mean a woman needs to disrobe from the waist down and you do this practice in what's called a nest that's like a yoga mat with blankets and pillows on the floor. And so it's actually a very, let's say, strong guidelines of like how you set up this practice that does help to create a little bit of safety and something that obviously is quite vulnerable, right? And it's a deep practice because most women, first of all, aren't used to experiencing pleasure without the thought of, I need to reciprocate in some way right? So just to lay back and let your clitoris be stroked. By someone else, by the way, I want to make sure that that's clear, that that it is a partner. This is a partnered practice. Yes, it is a partnered practice. There's a stroker and there's a strokey. So the strokey is always has a clitoris. The stroker could be a male or female or any gender, but it is about stroking the clitoris. So I know inevitably the question comes up, is there a practice like this for men? There is, but it's not worthy of the conversation in this moment because what happens is women are so shut down in this arena that really one needs to focus here. And women are the ones who have the turn on and the orgasm in a particular way. So both partners get to feel and have an experience around orgasm and get filled up in the process. So that's all I'm going to say about the practice because this isn't a story about orgasmic meditation, but just to give you a little context. So that was your gateway. Orgasmic meditation was your gateway and it's a significant one. (laughs) And so I was fascinated by this body of work that orgasmic meditation was kind of formulated from an organization called One Taste. And the clitoral stroking practice actually goes back further. But anyway, I was fascinated by this practice because my background as a 
hippie healer, you know, I could see that there was a story going on here about how energy worked and about how power worked. And I'm a bit of a mad scientist anyway, so I'm always gathering from all these different places to kind of coalesce into my own body of work. So I was like, I want to know what's going on behind orgasmic meditation. What's going on behind this body of work? So I ended up doing their six-month coaching program. You know, I'd already been a successful coach, but I wanted to learn more about this practice and the depth of it. And so pulled the plug, let's see what, in May of 2014, went through the coaching practice in the beginning part of 2015 and finished that six-month program with this very important realization. Because when you watch a woman's clitoris be stroked, which is part of the practice, you do need to witness it. You don't watch it a lot, but it's an important part to see. And what I learned was the amount of power that women have. And more specifically, the amount of power that comes out of a woman's sexual center. Now, I know we all have different words that we like to use for our sexual center as women. It might be vagina or yoni. And and the word that I use for my own personal use is pussy. And so I'm going to continue using that in this moment. But if that's a word that doesn't resonate for you, I invite you to translate it into the word that feels best for you so that you can hear, hopefully, that there's some wisdom here for you to receive. So what I saw was how much power came out of a woman's pussy. And I saw that, you know, I still had my successful friends with their seven-figure businesses, but just about every one of them was on the verge of burnout and had adrenal fatigue. And I was like, you know what, ladies, this isn't working. Like, it's not sustainable. I know you've got big, you know, missions. I know you're running successful businesses, but is it worth sacrificing your health? And is there another option? And what I started to really see is that there was, that we women have this sex power, like that's part of our femininity. I mean, the fact that women can create new life out of nothing I mean, I am not myself a mother, but I know Lisa is. And so that process, think about how much power goes into creating new life out of nothing. That is a power and potency that I don't believe we know how to tap into as women because we live in a society that basically denigrates that power on some level, you know, feminine values and feminine power. But what if we could tap into that and utilize that in our businesses? Would it make things more sustainable and more fun and more pleasurable? And would we be even better at leading our mission-based businesses? So that was the realization that I came out with after diving into the orgasmic meditation world. So I'll pause for a moment in case there's any questions. (laughs) I'm sure there's a million from our listeners, but you got me right now. (laughs) I remember first hearing about orgasm meditation and it was before we had opened up our marriage and but before we opened up our marriage I, we were for sure having a bit of a sexual renaissance in our marriage mm-hmm. and i remember hearing about it and just being fucking fascinated by this concept and i even remember y'all christina demonstrated it at a businessy like retreat thing i wasn't there but she told me about it and i was just like what <laughs> so wait wait caveat I was not the demo. <laughs> it was not my clitoris being stroked, just in case everyone... Oh, oh, there's a nuance. It was somebody else's clitoris. Okay, that makes it so much better. <laughs> it, I mean, I didn't disrobe in front of all my colleagues, no. But I did ask the organization. This was a gathering of industry leaders, a JV event, if you know that terminology. And I'd said, listen, I think 
people need to understand how much power is in our sex. Can I have a segment of time? And I'm going to have someone come in and do an orgasmic meditation demo, and I will build the bridge. I'll explain why we're doing this and how it relates to business. And this is like major industry leaders in the room. I couldn't believe they let me do it, but it was awesome. I mean, I had to do a lot of explaining and like building the bridge, but they did sit through it and they started to get it. So yes, I do like to push the edge, certainly. And building that bridge, I think, is a theme because now like this next part of your story really has you building the bridge between pleasure and business. And I know for me, this is something that I am really, really desiring to hold space for. Like in the launching of the Get Fucking Real show and the GFR squad and all these things I'm doing, I was like, I'm doing this different. This is going to be different. I don't want to push. I don't want to try. I want to have fun. And like these interviews are so fun. Like I'm still needing to remind myself when I share this with the GFR squad, like almost on a daily basis, my own GFR moments around doing this business differently. So we're in the red light district part of the interview. We are talking about pleasure connected to business. And we're not done yet, y'all. We're going to talk about breaking new ground. I don't think that what we're about to talk about has ever been talked about in a context of how does it serve mission-driven business owner. You know, I'm looking at the GFR commandments right now, and we call it the roadmap for getting real. And I have such a commitment and an intention around all areas of our life. You accused me of being a life coach before we started the show. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not a life coach. But there's <laughs> a question. I'm, just, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. I'm exaggerating to be funny. Yeah. And also to really own that a mission-driven entrepreneur when they are birthing work that is so much a part of themselves connected to their own journey that it is about their whole life. And so this piece of what we're going to talk about is just inseparable, just like everything else in our life. It is inseparable from birthing and the flow and the evolution of our mission. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Can I give a little bit of context before we dive into the deeper level of the red light district? Just a couple Yes. Okay. So just to let people know what came out of this whole process was, yes, looking at where pleasure and business connected. And what I really saw was that there is this power that comes out of a woman and it's a raw feminine power. And so, you know, as we move forward, we may be using terminology like feminine and masculine. And I just want to be clear that we're not speaking about gender here. We're talking about the feminine archetype and feminine values and the masculine archetype and masculine values. And We could just as easily be talking about yin and yang or left brain and right brain or estrogen and testosterone. So I'd love for you to just hear that these are like two energies of the universe that kind of create the engine that keeps the universe going. You know, it's like the magnetic pulse of the universe, right? So you can see my through line. I've been doing energy work. I'm fascinated by power and sensuality. And so I started to birth this whole body of work around the feminine operating system. Basically, First of all, how do we unleash and excavate and allow our raw feminine power to come forward? Because most of us aren't really even allowing it to begin with. But then how do we use it? Like what is our natural feminine machinery, if you will? And I know that's not feminine, but I kind of love that it's not. There's something like just briefly to say that, you know, what I've seen is that we've all had this patriarchal operating system automatically installed into our hard drives and we didn't have a say in the matter. And meanwhile, it doesn't serve men either. 
right? But it definitely doesn't serve the women because it's not even in our wheelhouse. You know, the patriarch operating system is based on masculine values and yang energy and testosterone. So when we women are allowing that to run our lives, it's like trying to run Windows on a Mac computer or put diesel in a gasoline car. Like it doesn't really work. So I just want to lay that piece in that, you know, what I've seen is that we women have a very unique kind of power that we need to access and then learn how to use in our own natural design and that this can support us in business. So that's the context for where we're going. Good? Yeah. Yes. I think I really appreciate that context. So thank you for that. So I want to remind everyone that you had pulled the plug on your business. And so now you're, I'm going to say luxuriating, even though I may, you know, in this journey, I know, I know it wasn't luxurious. You're couch surfing again, you know, um, and your grief and the origin story is not far out of the picture, even now. And so it becomes a gateway to a new level or a new tube of the journey, you know? <laughs> yes. Okay. So there's a next level of all this exploration. And it's basically where I have my own exploration into the world of BDSM. And so BDSM is the world of kink. It's basically where you explore kind of explorations of power and there's a lot to it. So the BDSM is an acronym that stands for by the way, I'm not an expert in this, so I'm just going to lay in little bits of what I know and perhaps someone else can add to the conversation. But what I've learned is that the acronym stands for bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, sadism and masochism. So when many of us hear those words, it's another like, what the fuck is she talking about? Like, is she nuts? You know, like it's another moment of it's going to sound crazy, right? And I totally understand that. But stay with me because I want you to like listen to my own journey of how this happens. So while I'm in the coaching program for the orgasmic meditation, at the end of the course on the last, I think it was the last night of the last in-person immersion, I meet a woman who with her partner is an expert in BDSM and they are creating experiences for people over the course of two and a half days to have a BDSM experience. I guess is the best way I could explain it. And so I really know nothing about this world, but she starts to talk about it to me at dinner. And I notice that all of a sudden I'm feeling a little antsy and a little bit probably slightly freaked out and I'm sort of moving my body in a jittery way. But I also realize that my body is lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> like there is so much like, oh, I don't know what she's talking about, but this also sounds really exciting. So like that is a version of turn on or electricity or a kind of power, right? So when that happens, I pay attention. And I'm listening going, I really can't even compute what she's saying, but I know I am turned on and I know I need to explore this. So I end up having this experience in BDSM with this couple and it's over the course of two and a half days. So I want you to think about this. Those of you who have been in therapy or healing or anything of that sort, just having anybody focused on you and your healing for two and a half days is amazing let alone two people, let alone like in this realm of BDSM, that's a whole new exploration for me. So it happens in a kink B&B where there's like a place to sleep and there's a dungeon downstairs. And we, I have this wild, powerful, potent experience over the course of two and a half days where I have experiences that are there to support me in my healing and my evolution. 
Now, it was not a sexual experience of any kind. So my experience, like many people do use BDSM in their intimate life and in their sexuality. My foray into that world was very much experiencing it as, as a healing modality. And through the course of the experience, I was like, this is so healing. And it's also a combination of all the things that I love. I mean, it combined like deep healing. It felt like family constellation work for those of you who know what that is. You know, it was like improv. It was like psychodrama. I mean, it was like all these incredible, it was body work. I mean, it was all these amazing things rolled up into one. And it was a very pivotal moment for me. And why Lisa and I decided to talk about this is because now I'm going to bring in the brother piece again, because there was a moment. So in BDSM, there's lots of power play. So someone might be dominant and someone might be submissive, right? Someone's in control and someone's in surrender. So I got to explore both sides. I really believe that it's a very important exploration for all of us to explore our dominant side and to explore the side that can surrender because we need both of those in business. I mean, you know, we need to know how to be in our dominant side to like, you know, ask our team to, you know, to delegate things and get them to, you know, create uh, what we need on the team. But we also need to learn how to surrender to our team, right? For me, my mad scientist is always looking at how energy works, the power works and seeing like, how does this help us in business? So cut to this moment where I am in the experience of being with these two people holding space for me and I'm exploring my dominant side. And in this moment, it involves me using what's called a flogger. You've probably seen them. It looks a little bit like a whip, but it's got multiple tails on it and you use that to hit someone. Now, mind you, back in my hippie healer days, I would have turned off the podcast at this point. You know, like I was not into all this stuff and I'm sure for many of you, it might be pushing up against your edge. I totally acknowledge that. And if it intrigues you even at least a little bit to hear where the story goes, stay with us because there's a payoff here. And it ties into deep healing around my brother too, which is the very interesting piece. And this just unfolded, right? Like I didn't think this through or consciously decide to be holding a flogger hitting this man, but that's what showed up on my healing journey. So I'm in the experience. The woman in the couple is giving me words to say to kind of tap into this dominant side of myself while I'm hitting the man because I don't really know what I'm doing, right? So I needed a place to get started. But at some point, it takes off. I don't need to be fed the lines anymore. And we all realize that while I'm hitting this man, I'm actually talking to my brother. And there's this moment of just feeling the depth of my grief and my anger too of like, what the fuck? You weren't supposed to die. Where did you go? You left me an only child, you motherfucker. <laughs> you know, like, and there was a massive deification process that went on after my brother left where he became this angel and doctors named their children after him. And so like, he was like perfect, right? So I probably hadn't let myself feel all the anger that I felt, you know, in that way. And of course I missed him, right? So it was just this potent moment where I basically beat the shit out of this guy with flogger in my dominant side. But then at some point it switched into me having racks of sobbing, devastating grief and just collapsed like a heap on the bed. And I left that experience. There was a lot more that happened, but that was a very pivotal moment of realizing how else would I have accessed that grief except finding myself in a kink B&B beating the shit out of this guy? Like it was just so interesting to see what some of us need for our healing journey. 
Now, maybe not everybody needs it. Although I beg to differ. I think we do need to explore things like this on some level in our own way. But it was potent. And so from that experience, I realized how important it was for all of us to explore more of our kink side and, and also dive deep into what I call the dark feminine, you know, and the taboo sides of things and even taboo emotions and taboo sexuality and all of these pieces. So that was my foray into the world of BDSM. And then there's more to the pieces of the puzzle of like how I started to use that in my own business and with my clients and then to even bring in people to teach it to my clients. Thank you so much for sharing such a personal experience. And I appreciate this as an access point. And our healing comes from the most unexpected way sometimes when we allow the journey. I will post some resources in the show notes around kink. And I have friends that have written awesome books. And it is a far, far, far reaching topic in terms of the variety of kinks, as people put it, and things that have been characterized and sort of made fun of, like feet and you know things like that. But the DS or the dominant submissive power dynamic is so rich. And I know for me, I have moments where I just love to surrender and I love to submit. And it's very common for powerful women or powerful men to enjoy. Are you sharing something that you haven't really shared publicly before right now? Yes. Am I confessing? <laughs> Can you please be clear about this? That you're sharing that you have also explored some BDSM? Yes. Yes. Thank you for underscoring my confession. <laughs> I'm like, girl, don't leave me hanging out here alone because I've never shared that story publicly. So no, it was so amazing. And oh my God. Thank you for sharing it. I honor your confession. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows Fifty Shades of Grey, right? And like, it, embarrassingly so, it for sure ignited my initial curiosity. But thank God for that. People that are in the BDSM kinky world will have lots of shit to say about the book, and that's not realistic. Just like any characterization of any doctors hate medical shows and all that kind of stuff, right? There's a lot to say, but I do believe that it was a service of just inserting an awareness into our zeitgeist. And to kind of piggyback on the healing part, I find it very healing to surrender. And it does allow me to surrender in my day-to-day -day life. And there is a lot of relationships in my life that could really benefit from me shutting the fuck up, you know, sometimes. And I've also seen the flip side of people that need an outlet to be dominant to tell somebody what to do, to access that power is so fucking healing. So, and it sounded like you got to explore sort of all ends of that. And so I have a wealth of knowledge now. I've put myself into situations where I've gotten to explore all kinds of aspects of that world. Yeah, I could go on and on about it and happy to have dialogue with people. And for sure in the GFR squad, <laughs> we're gonna have some juicy fucking conversation for our members there. So thank you for sharing this. And for those of you that have piqued curiosity, lean into it. It's probably something for you. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that confession. I'm feeling a piece that wants to come through. Yeah, yeah. So here's how it helped me to understand the potency of these explorations is, I'm trying not to geek out and be too woo here, but basically every living thing on the planet really just wants attention, wants to be related to, wants to get into resonance. So we, we know that, like we know when we get people pay attention to us, like if something feels good and we feel filled up. 
So this is what happens with healing on some level too, is that when we can get into agreement with something and turn towards it, because as a culture, we move away from pain. We move away from our emotions. We move away from anything that doesn't feel good. But if instead we can turn towards it and sort of be like, I see you and get into resonance and be in agreement with it. What happens is energy in its natural state is very intelligent and it actually knows how to get back into a state of health. Okay, I know that's woo, but basically energy either moves or it doesn't, right? Like when energy doesn't move, that's when dis-ease sets in. And we can see that with bodies of water, right? When the bodies of water move, they're in health. When it's a stagnant body of water, it's not in health. So it's the same with emotion. I could go down a rabbit hole, I won't go into the moment, but I just wanna say that what happens when you explore kink and BDSM is that you are bringing your attention and your presence to areas that you may have moved away from in the past and had judgment towards, but instead you're getting into agreement with it. So for instance, I have always been a relatively strong woman and that you know probably has a strong masculine side, right? So part of me is like, I don't want to explore my dominant side because I'm already too much of that and I have storylines around it, right? But instead, if I get into agreement with that, like me exploring my dominant side and my dominatrix, if you will, means that now I'm letting that energy flow instead of stopping it because I'm not okay with it and I'm judging it. So I know that's a little abstract, but some of you might enjoy understanding that for your left brain to just see that's what's happening when you explore like hitting someone. You're exploring the side of you that might have a little bit of violence that you, you know, sort of shoved down deeply, but it's a consenting moment with an adult that's very different than what happens outside of consenting moments, right? But when you can allow it to flow and experience it and explore it, in a place of understanding and consent, there's a lot of healing that can happen. So I don't know if that's clear enough, but- I love I that. Yeah, no, that was really great. Thank you for adding that piece of it and that context. Ah, so we are coming to the end of our conversation and a lot of our GFR wormhole stories have like a, and ta-da, you know, this was the, this is where this is all going. And I do want to give you a chance to share where you feel like this is going. And it also at the same time is being, still being birthed, this, at least this chapter. So yeah, tell us how you feel like this part of your story is serving the next iteration or evolution of your mission-driven business. All right, so the intention is that I have birthed this body of work around the feminine operating system that's quite comprehensive. When I've shared it with some colleagues, they're like, this is like a PhD in vagina. You know, <laughs> I write the operator's manual of like how we women access our feminine operating system and learn how to use it. Now, that being said, it's pretty outside the box. You know, like there are no rules out there or templates of how you build a feminine business. Like business is inherently masculine, right? So I've been in this five-year massive dismantling process of my ego, of my business, of absolutely everything. And at the same time, that's actually a very feminine process, right? Like the feminine archetype is a place of formlessness. It's a place of the great mystery. It's a place of destruction and chaos, you know? So I have been deeply embracing my feminine and allowing it to tear me limb from limb so that I can 
get my feminine flowing. And also to say, when I talk about the feminine operating system, I'm not just talking about the feminine. It's how we women utilize our power from our natural design, which means that we utilize our own feminine, inner feminine, and we utilize our own inner masculine. And ideally, we bring them together into a divine union and a consummation of creativity that makes things happen, right? So the body of work is comprehensive. (laughs) And I've been in this process of like, so how do I build a business from the feminine and from my feminine operating system? And I'm here to tell you, I still don't actually know (laughs) because there's nobody out there that I've seen do it to the level that I would like. So I have chosen to surrender profoundly to the dismantling. On some level, I'm letting the universe dominate me, you know, and being in a submissive place. So no, it is not all figured out yet. I'm not through the wormhole on some level. But there's a beauty to that because that means I'm deeply surrendered into the feminine. And at some point that's going to shift and the masculine is going to come in to help to create structure around what I've allowed to be deeply in the feminine mystery and the chaos and the formlessness of my raw feminine power. That makes sense. So in that process, I have been exploring various things where I did do a live event finally. I hadn't done one in three and a half years. And I challenged myself to birth the whole three-day live event in six weeks, purely from pussy. And I wanted to see if it worked. And this was in May of 2017. And I broke so many rules. For those of you who know the template of the three-day enrollment event, I know how to do it. I've done it in the past, but I threw it all out the window. I had nothing planned. I showed up and was deeply surrendered into pussy and went very rogue to see if it worked. And it did. So there's a blog post about that somewhere. I'll just sort of seed that in the moment. And then I've been doing six-month programs where I you know, call in with women leaders and I create in-person experiences for them to unleash more of their raw feminine power doing pretty edgy shit, right? As you can imagine, as you hear me talking about this. But because I want to open up their raw feminine power, I'm always listening to the energy, right? Some amazing things have happened. Like I brought in BDSM teachers to work with my clients and almost all of them were like, I'm not really into that stuff. And I was like, just you wait, hang tight. And then I'd be sitting in the back of the room watching the teacher, you know, teach and lead my clients into areas they did not think they would ever go. And I would just be laughing and giggling maniacally going, this is so good. And then they'd all come to me later and say, I get it now. And so magical things happened because what I saw was that when I help to unleash a woman's raw feminine power, I don't need to consult her on her business and be a business coach anymore. She naturally knows what she needs to do. And one great example of that is one of my clients, after we explored the dark feminine and and one of my immersions, she was working on a project of bringing solar power to Haiti. And she ended up using her dark feminine to talk her way into a meeting with the highest political leaders in the land of Haiti and walked out with a $65 million contract. Wow. So if anyone wants to tell me that there's no place for raw feminine power or the dark feminine in business, I beg to fucking differ. <laughs> it takes breaking the mold. It takes being willing to be disheveled and fall apart. You're like, you cannot be in your good girl. You cannot have it all put together. Like you have to fall apart a little bit. 
And so that's where I'm still in that process and birthing this body of work and listening about how it wants to be shared into the world. So there's a book brewing, there's an app brewing, there's many things brewing. And the one thing that, you know, like I run my business by pussy now. Like this is that place where my deep feminine wisdom I can hear. Like I call her the mouthpiece to God. You know, that really, if not just about the physical part of my body, it's where my feminine wisdom lives. So Pussy said to me that, like, you need to pull out a piece of the cornerstone of this body of work around the feminine operating system because it's so broad and so comprehensive. So I'm working on the first piece of offering an experience around the dark feminine and taking people into their own deep emotions like grief and rage and exploring their kinks and their taboo and understanding the great mystery because i think this is to me the dark feminine leads us to our power and we need our power in our mission-based businesses so at the end of the day this has been a whole conversation about power around my purpose and what i came here to do and I, like, I know Lisa is super passionate about helping all of you mission-based business owners, like get out of your own way and create what you're here to do. And I do that in my own way too. And like, we women need our power and we need to be using our natural design. So our machinery is like singing and humming and not screeching and grinding when we try to do business like men. So we need these pieces but it, it's a heroic act and we do need to rewire our brains out of that patriarchal operating system in the left brain into the right brain of our natural design as women. And this is part of my strength yeah. is my willingness to go to these places. And I have risen before and I will rise again. And so I am allowing that process. And part of the feminine too, the last piece I'll share is that in the feminine operating system, you cannot push no push of any kind. It is about allowing and releasing and following flow. So do I wish that my business was built and the book was written and I had the whole thing created around this work? Yeah, but I'm living it in real time of like the allowing and the surrender and the mystery and letting it move through me in conjunction with the divine. That's a whole other piece of the puzzle for those of you on a spiritual path. So that's kind of where you find me is still being disheveled, exploring power, exploring energy, and stepping more deeply into my own feminine operating system and my own mission-based business and wanting to help others do the same. So thank you for inviting me to share the story. Amazing. Beautiful. Thank you. You from Rome as a digital nomad, a really key piece of the, the disheveled and surrendered and non-pushing, and I really admire you for that. Thank you. You know, the more I think about it, this is your after. You know, your after isn't about money. Your after isn't about creating a big thing. Your after is about coming from a two-week thing with your mom into another thing in Rome and not knowing where you're going next and all the same time showing up in a fucking interview and being brilliant. So you're right where you're supposed to be. And thank you for living your journey, Christina Marassi. Thank you, Lisa Charity. That is the best like reflection ever. And it's such a potent reframe because this is part of the storyline is like our versions of quote unquote success are masculine based about results, about action and like, you know, concrete things. But feminine success is different. 
It's completely different. So yes, if we get outside that old lens, I am in my after. I'm yes, happy. you are. Yes, you are. But not until like your reflection just helped it land more deeply. So this is how we get to help each other and support each other on this journey. So thank you, Lisa. You're very welcome. Thank you for your vulnerability and your confession and inspiring my confession and all the healing that will be propagated from it. I love you, Christina Marassi. <laughs> the journey. Thank you. And thanks to everyone who's gone on the journey with us. Wow. I was going to say that I'm still blushing, but I'm actually not. That would just be like a cute way to pretend that I'm embarrassed (laughs) by the conversation, which I am not. It was so amazing. And I feel like she did such a great job with really widening the net and making it welcoming and presenting some really um, groundbreaking concepts as well as discussing things that um, she's never discussed before. And so I'm just giving, I just, ah, props to you, Christina Marassi. And she has some juicy giveaway for you in the show notes uh, around the dark feminine and exploring some of what we go into in this episode. So please take a look at that. Um, Connect with her if you're feeling guided to do that. And for our GFR squad members, uh, I had her talk about how to break the rules, right? I, I shared in the intro how leading from pleasure is, I feel resistance to that. And so I asked her to share with squad members, right? And those of you that are in a squad, you know, like, this is where we go even deeper with these concepts. So she shares four ways that you can break the rules in business. And I'll just give you a little hint. And one of them is about welcoming the fear. (laughs) So three, three additional ones that are super juicy. And uh, so go into our squad and um, go ahead and take a look at that bonus content. It's always fun to kind of continue the cameras rolling for our members. Um, If you're not a member yet, go to gfr.life forward slash squad. I would love to see you in there. Um, Everyone's doing their intro videos. It's super fun place to be real. Yeah, it's a super fun place to be real. All right. Oh, and your 12 commandments, your GFR commandments. If you haven't grabbed those yet, please go ahead and take that action instead of being passive and just listening. Um, Maybe you're ready to take a little bit more action. Download your commandments, join the squad. I'd love to be in community with you. All right, until the next juicy may or may not be red light district episode of the GFR squad, over and out.